live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Fight for Good podcast. We're so excited that you joined us here today. We have a really exciting interview that we'd love to share with you uh, with Lieutenants Anil and Karen Kumar, uh, where we talk about the diversity of their community and how their core congregation is really embracing that and, and the strides that they're making to celebrate all the cultural differences that, that are there within their core. Uh, we encourage you now just to stick with us and hear all about the exciting things that are happening there in Farmington Hills. Uh, so we're going to go now right there to our interview. One of the themes we've been covering in the war cry, or one of the things we try to emphasize, one of the beauties of the Salvation Army is its internationalism, that um, in Christ there is no East or West, and that the Army is active in 132 countries around the world, and it is inclusive. Um, and given the fact that uh, our nation is uh, predicted to be, by the year, in 23 years or so, a majority-minority um society. We know that that's important to um, be open to um, ethnic um, ministry, um, a multi-ethnic outreach. And we have the privilege today of welcoming guests, Lieutenants Anil and Karen Kumar, who are the core officers in Farmington Hills, Michigan, North, just northwest of Detroit in a wonderful area um, near Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti and other points uh, in that state. Um, and they um, actually, Karen, uh, Lieutenant Karen has provided us a great write-up and photos detailing the uh, multi-ethnic characteristic of their core and what that means. So we just want to say welcome to you and thank you for joining us. Hi. Hello. We're so excited to be here. Oh, we're, we're excited and really, again, thank you. And, you know, people can look forward to that article in the War Cry. Um, it'll be a very comprehensive coverage. Um, but my understanding is, um, Lieutenant Anil, that um, you're a third generation Salvationist and that you have an interesting story, I believe, about how you came to be associated with the Salvation Army. Could you let us uh, have an idea of that? Uh, yes. So <clears throat> my grandparents, just to give a brief story, they were Hindus and uh, both of my my mom's side and my dad's side. And uh, my mom's side, they are from the top caste because in India we have caste system. And my dad is from the middle caste. So my last name is Kandamala. Mala is a caste. When my grandparents got converted into Christianity through an awesome testimony uh, that they came across to meet with the Lord, they decided to give their firstborns to serve in the ministry. It happened my dad was dedicated to be given to the ministry, so as my mom. And my grandparents, they were involved in the Salvation Army when they got converted as Christians. And... Uh, Especially my mom's side, my uh, my grandfather was influenced by a Salvation Army officer. His name is Colonel J. Paul. He has been retired for over 10, 15 years now. So there happened an intercaste marriage because my grandfather decided that my mom 
should go marry someone and then go into becoming a pastor that to in the Salvation Army. And uh, it's not an easy intercaste marriage then uh, or intercaste marriage even now. And it's absolutely a miracle that it happened. And uh, and here I am, my product. I'm the youngest of the three. And uh, I have graduated from biotechnology in India, and I had no intention to come to America. The first question when we when I got invitation to come here to work at the camp, my first question was like, why do America need someone from international to be missionaries? In the past, all the missionaries came from Western countries like America, England, and everyone. It's it's a Christian country. Why do you guys need it? And Commissioner Merle Heatwall, he encouraged me to come and work at Echo Group Camp here in Michigan and on a one on a one condition. If I like it, it's great. If I don't like it, I can just take that as a good experience. When I came and worked here for three and a half months at Camp Echo Group, my entire view changed. And I love working with the kids. And I already have a calling to be in the ministry. And when I saw the opportunity, it was an eye-opening opportunity to work with the kids. And my questions about my view about America was totally wrong. Yes, it is a Christian country, but this country definitely needs God, not Anil. Then I just followed the footsteps, the directions showed by God. And I came here in 2014. I took an uh, offer as an intern here at Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor. And uh, I did one year internship, and then I went to training college. I mean, I love that answer so much uh, because well, as a former DYS, uh, Divisional Youth Secretary and Camp Director, um, we always say camp changes lives. And it's not just for the campers. Sometimes it's for the staff members, camp directors. Uh, you never know uh, what uh, what God can do through through a summer. It's incredible. Yeah, I just love it. I still, I still remember some of the testimonies my campers shared and I was able to be part of their life for the graduation and all those things. It's just amazing. Uh, saying yes to God, you never know where and what you see. And it's just amazing. I never had these things in my mind. All I wanted to do is just go become a researcher in Germany, make some money. But this this works more than that. It's absolutely uh, a great miracle, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Lieutenant Karen, you also have a, a history, a, a great history with Salvation Army, seventh generation. Is that correct? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> Sometimes I lose track. <laughs> but you also have a background in mission. So can you tell us a little bit about that, about your family history and also uh, kind of what, what led you to where you are now? Yeah. So um, I'm, well, I'm Karen Kumar now, but before I got married, I was Karen Miller and uh, my parents and my grandparents on both sides of the family and great grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone is in the Salvation Army the South, the East, the West, the Central Territory, all of the territories. So um, I've just always grown up in the Army. I've always loved the mission of the Army. I've loved, I've seen from my parents just life lived out and how um, we are to be salt and light in whatever community, wherever we are. Um, and so I've, I've just loved the Salvation Army and that. I never thought that I would be an officer, but I never said no because... My parents always said, you, you don't have to be an officer, but don't say no. Because the moment you say no, God's going to say yes. So um, I never said no to being an officer, but then um, it was just a ministry opportunity for me. 
Um, and then I went to Asbury College and um, yeah, when I was done with high school, obviously. And <laughs> at Asbury, it's funny how you mentioned with um, Anil, like one summer can change your mindset or change or make a big difference. Um, while I was at Asbury, um, B. Holtz actually came up to me and she said, hey, I was in China this past semester and they're looking for someone to lead a missions trip, a basketball missions trip. Just a few students, like five to seven students to come over and do missions work. And I thought of you, Karen. And um, now if anyone knows B. Holtz listening, she um, is not like an athletic person. She's very healthy, but she does music. So um, she just thought of me. She prayed about it. And um, from that moment, I that summer, I went to China and fell in love with Chinese people and fell in love with the culture and how much um, how much they don't know, how much they just need to know about Jesus. And um, I was just moved at that time uh, to go to China. And interesting enough, it was not with the Salvation Army. It was with another organization called International Schools of China. And um, when I came home from that missions trip, just my whole attitude and perspective and desire to share Christ had, had perhaps changed um, because I had seen what it was like to live someplace where people don't know the name Jesus, where churches aren't on every corner, where, you know, you can't just go and tell someone Jesus loves you. You have to think creatively to share the gospel. So I came home that summer and then again, I did my student teaching in China and then after my student teaching, I taught in um, Kentucky for a few months, and then I got a job in China with that same organization. So while I grew up my whole life, and, and some people might say my blood is red, yellow, and blue, I left the Salvation Army and went and worked as a missionary in China through the other organization. Um, I actually taught at an English school, so I got to speak in English, but then my school gave us avenues to live life. They gave us Chinese lessons. They told us where coffee shops were. They told us where different ministry opportunities were. And it was our job to take those up and go and share about Jesus. And so I was there for six years and um, just ministering and living with the people and just sharing the light that way. That's fascinating. Um, I, th I think of Watchman Nee when I think of China. Um, what a what a great writer and and what's happening in china now with the underground churches and all of that isn't that that's amazing and something we don't readily know in here in the west are you aware of that i mean i'm not aware of everything but no, i no. do see a portion of that you know it is interesting you know even in the salvation army world i kind of just thought because I, when I would, was in China, I would go to like Hong Kong or Taiwan or other places to visit. I would go see the army there. And growing up here, you think, oh, all the Salvation Armies look like this. But then when I go overseas and see it, it's like, oh, maybe it doesn't all look the same. Um, and then when I was in China, just I went to a few underground churches, which aren't actually underground. But, um, you know, if <laughs> yeah. my friend would drop me off and they say, okay, you go up to the 17th floor and then walk down the stairs to the ninth floor and meet me here. And so um, having those real life experiences makes me so appreciative here that we can worship how we want to, we can meet and we can praise God um, how we want to. And then also, I mean, it's a little, it's like a two-sided coins. It's a little sad because we're here in America. We have these freedoms and yet the church in China is growing so much, right? The persecuted churches are just 
leaping and, and growing so strong and that their commitment to once they become a Christian, they don't care what happens to them, you know, and in America, sometimes we're afraid to tell someone about Jesus, even though we know that we won't be hurt. They're definitely in the crucible, aren't they? And that's where mm-hmm. God is most active, it seems now. Yeah. Um, but Lieutenant O'Neill, your experience, your family's experience in India, that I don't imagine that was easy to make that transition from, you know, in belief. No, it, it, it is not easy at all. Um, it took a year and a half for me to get permission from my parents uh, to come to America to take the offer of internship. Uh, because for just for an example, if I need to get married out of the state, because in India, every state has its own culture, tradition, customs, and language. So, and uh, being an officer kid, I do, I'm multilingual in India. And uh, if I want to get married to a different state, uh, women from a different state, it's not easy. So I have married, out, not just out of the state, I married someone out of the country, and that's not an easy task. Uh, coming to America was not an easy task. Learning to the learning the culture, adapting to the culture, it wasn't an easy task. And I'm not saying I know fully of American culture. Uh, I, I'm still learning. Every day is a learning experience. I try to find something new here. And uh, it, it's a huge leap. And I am the only one in my family who is in the United States of America. My whole family is in India. And uh, nobody married outside of our <laughs> caste, our culture. But I am here, uh, took the risk by saying yes to God. Uh, so, yeah, it's not easy. But um, it has been great experience. And my family just appreciates now that they see God's blessings in reality. So, well, praise God for that. And, you know, well, I often think about how difficult it must be for immigrants to this country to learn the culture. Oh, my goodness. The language itself is so challenging, let alone all the intricacies. So, yeah, I uh, sympathize entirely with that. Just moving on, I, I, I want to get to the uh, kind of the gist of our conversation, um, focusing on the your core. Uh, one thing we focused on in the war cry is um, unity and diversity as expressed in the Army. In society at large, in the body of Christ. We recently read an article by Captain Diakonwa on reaching the new marginalized in the war cry. That was in our May issue, if anybody's curious. Uh, He defines a multi-ethnic core as countering segregation, cultivating an identity of inclusion, implementing a multilingual platform, and forming a multi-ethnic and culturally intelligent, I like that word he used, leadership team. How does the Farmington Hills Corps encourage these characteristics? Uh, it's interesting you ask that question because that's exactly what we are trying to do here. When we arrived here, we just took the demographic studies of our servicing areas, and we learned we are one of the most diverse neighborhood, probably in, in Michigan. And we have... Uh, almost all the ethnicities here, we have majority of Indian population, Asian population, we have African-American, Caucasian, we have Spanish-speaking. It is just a reflection of heaven, as my principal major Harbin says. So when we took, took uh, to take a look at the demographic studies and we were like, okay, so what do we need to do is to have a team, which is core council and advisory council, that reflects our community, meaning all the ethnicities that we have. And that's the first part we did. And uh, 
that really helped us because I do not know, like I mentioned, I do not know American culture fully. I have to rely on someone. So I rely on my wife. We have Filipino culture. So I rely on, on them to help me understand the culture. Just being proactive and having this inclusion of other cultures really helped us to come as one. I'm not saying it's an easy task and I'm not saying it's going to be easy because the cultural differences will always be there. And uh, understanding that and doing the Sunday programs or after-school programs or anything depends on how inclusive we can be and incorporating some of the elements that really helps them to be part of the worship service have all paved the way for us to initiate the growth of our church. So that is exactly where we are. And it's a long ways to go, and uh, we are aware of it, and it's one step at a time. And uh, we are very grateful that we are going in that direction. It's not the perfect direction, and we are not perfect to do that. And we always rely on the teams for advice, for advisory council, core council, also church members. We do take surveys and talk to them and to ensure that we are doing things in the right because we do want to respect how they worship, uh, the same Lord we worship in their culture. And we want to make sure that we become part of their family because they are trying to become part of our family coming here. Hmm. That's intriguing. I mean, how have you reached out to these different communities and actually tracked them? I mean, the cultural barriers are great. I mean, even, you know, even body language differs from culture to culture, let alone other items. You know, how did you manage to did, was that core already multi-ethnic when you arrived? Yes, when we arrived, the core was already multi-ethnic and our uh, goal was to grow it more. So we we became part of the groups outside. For example, I became part of the Indian culture group that meets once a month outside for worship. And I also became part of a cricket team where I can meet and talk with some young adults and let them know I'm the Salvation Army and they can come. And building the relationship uh, is the first key point we've decided to do. And uh, we go to a Chinese restaurant down the mm-hmm. road and Karen speaks. Yeah, I speak Mandarin. So just being able to talk with them and realize like she connected me. There's a huge Chinese church just down the road. So she connected me with the pastor. Now, unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't been able to work things out. But just getting involved, I think one of the biggest thing is perhaps we've learned through our cultural experience or whatnot is that just ask, like, just go out and ask people like, Hey, would you like to be involved? Hey, like, especially coming from an American standpoint, we are so worried sometimes that I'm going to offend, like, Oh, I'm going to offend the Indian culture. Or, oh, I'm going to offend the Chinese culture, or I'm going to offend this culture, or that culture. But really in my experience, just asking is like opening a hundred doors, you know, they're so appreciative that we even want to be involved, that we want to work together, that we want them in our buildings, all these different cultures. And um, so we did walk into a beautiful core already. I will say we reshaped kind of the advisory board and the advisory council so that it was more reflecting, as Anil said, of our community. And again, we just use what we had. We use the people we had to reach, you know, the different boards or different committees to ask them to be a part. Could you give us an example of that? I'm just curious. Uh, when, when I became part of uh, Indian group, we are very well connected. We have uh, inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. It's all about inclusiveness, inclusiveness, our culture. And uh, I really wanted to see how to establish Indian 
congregation here. That was the passion. And uh, so I started working on that. We started working on that. And through our group, I was able to get connected with uh, a person who works in the city of Farmington Hills. And uh, the role of this person is to see what cultures we have, how many churches of other international churches we have. And I was able to be part and uh, get connected with this person when I was able to sit down with the person and talk. And I said, you know what, I need your help to start Indian uh, congregation or something like that. And the person looked at me and the person said, my friend, you are late to the party because we have 15 Indian churches within eight mile radius. We have two Korean churches. We have two Chinese churches, Vietnamese, Burmese, Japanese, you name it, we have it. Then that kind of is like a jaw-dropping moment. I'm like, seriously? Then we took a list, list and saw we have eight to ten Indian language-speaking churches that are here. On top of it, I learned I cannot establish an Indian-speaking congregation. Then I have to focus on either the third-generation Indians or past the third-generation Indians because all those generations, the first and second generation, were taken away and they are committed to a church. So I had we had to shift our focus. Now, not focusing on the first or second generation, it's a wrong focus and wrong goal. We have to focus in connecting with people who prefer English as their first language, but Indian culture as their culture. So it took at most almost 12 months for me to understand that part. And now we are figuring out a way to, to connect with these young people through cricket teams, through other fellowships here. Yeah, it is. It's like you said earlier, a beautiful representation of the kingdom of God. You know, such a, a diverse uh, and a, a, a large thing kind of shrunk down into your, your current context. Uh, and it's so beautiful. Uh, one of the things I appreciated about your article uh, was when you talked a little bit about some of the challenges that you've had and how, um, you know, if, if you were to ask somebody who, you know, is just kind of looking from the outside, what were some of your challenges? They might list a whole other thing, but really uh, one of the things you said, it boils down to communication and not communication in the way that we think it might be a challenge with language, um, but just simple miscommunication. So can you, can you share a little bit about those obstacles and challenges that you've had as you're trying to foster this togetherness? Yeah, we have a lot of Filipino women who come. So we actually have two women's groups that meet. And um, I mentioned this as well. Sometimes we celebrate our diversity by allowing different groups to meet together. Um, and I also, while we combine so many things together and our cultures intermix, it's also important for people to be comfortable and to be able to worship and to fellowship together in their own language and in their own cultural I don't know, their own cultural things that they do, you know, if it's eating or if it's dancing, like perhaps one culture is more comfortable with that. Although the Salvation Army is very comfortable with eating, but uh, <laughs> you know, whatever the cultural thing is, is it loud? Is it, is it, you know, when I was in China and I would go to underground churches, you prayed and everyone is screaming at the same time, praying at the same time. And it's loud and they don't care if anyone comes in. And at first for me, as an American, that was very uncomfortable for me to sit there and be like, wow, everyone is screaming and praying at the same time, because how I grew up, we, one person takes a turn praying, you know, it's like you listen to the prayer and then you listen to another prayer. And um, I see that in our core as well, that it's okay for there to be differences. Yeah. Now, if the differences make it so that like, I'm not welcomed, that's not okay. 
But knowing if I go to Filipino women's fellowship, it's going to be in that language. It's going to be in their style of worship and that's fine. But, and then we have another non-Filipino women's fellowship that everyone is also welcome to with those differences. Sometimes there's miscommunication like, Oh, I don't like you. I don't like this group. That's why I don't come to this group or, Oh, I, I don't think that that's the right way to worship and those sorts of things. And so those miscommunications, sometimes, like you said, it's not by the words that we say, but it might be by the actions. Maybe someone folds their arms and turns the other way or, you know, they're like, well, that's that that group or that's this group. And so um, with those miscommunications, it takes just being willing to sit down and meet together. So for the women's group, since that's what I'm talking about now, all of the leaders of each group, we get together, we sit down, we talk about what we're going to do. And then if any miscommunication has happened, we try to hash it out there. And sometimes it just means having a conversation with the people who are misunderstanding. Like, this is just how it works. You know, this is this is the culture. It's beautiful. And we accept it. Um, and kind of just clearing it up like, OK, this was my understanding. But now I see what you're saying. We're all OK then. I mean, for the moment. <laughs> There must be a lot of um, reticence, fear, insecurity that you have to overcome with people. I mean, I don't know if, if program is a solution. It's probably more of the attitude that you present, I imagine. Yeah, and I think within our like ministry team as well, we try our best to all be on the same page. And there are going to be things that we've mentioned, like, I will never understand some things about Indian culture, or I will never understand some things about the other cultures, but just being willing to listen, I think that changes such a big, makes a big difference in the atmosphere of the core and the attitudes at the core. And when your leaders display those attitudes, then the people do too. If, if we decided to just change everything or have a terrible attitude about something, I, I don't think that the core would be doing as well as it is. And that's not a positive to us. That's also a positive to the major Alex and to Sabria and all of our ministry team who, even though we might not understand something, we go with it. We know that God is with us. We know that he's leading and it helps everyone. And we know these, uh, for us, these obstacles and challenges have actually have helped us to come together, mm-hmm. even though they are different. Uh, we know some of the communication we do with, other cultural people, because we have a straightforward email communication, professional, but that's not their mainstream of communication. Their main, mainstream of communication is, for example, we have major alibs. I'm using their, them as an example because it's easy. Uh, I can let them know, hey, uh, can you please contact so-and-so and let them know we have practiced so-and-so. I get response within seconds. But if I email and call, it'll take some time. I have to wait. So I pick and choose what's the best. So I have to give up something. I have to let go of my ego that I am the leader and just be a servant leader and rely on other people to ensure that we are all working together. So it's not an easy task. It is a very challenging task. But actually, we are we, we got used to it. And we love doing that kind of communication, even though it's different. It's challenging. And we appreciate it because it gets work done and it shows the inclusiveness of other people who are in the middle and they feel very inclusive and they feel welcoming and they feel like, oh, wow, I've been asked to do this. I'm So 
they just tend to stay longer. There's a lot of concern about the fact that, you know, the nuns are a reality that, you know, people are falling away from established churches and Christianity and young people or, you know, faith is kind of being questioned heavily. Um, are you seeing a, a hunger for the gospel in your world? I definitely think there is a hunger for the gospel, but I think those who are hungry don't know what they're looking for. So we see people coming in who are very needy, who are very hungry and who are wanting to eat something great. And not, I'm not talking about, obviously not talking about physical food, but we do see people who, oh, I don't know what to do with my kids. Oh, I don't know where to send these. Oh, like, I don't know what my kids are going to do when they're in high school. We had a mom come in and say, like, my son is getting into bad stuff. He just got his license. Like, how are we going to help him? You know, and in that part, we we know that they're hungry for God. We know that they're hungry for the truth. And I think they just keep looking for truth outside of Christ. And um, I'm thankful that we get to be here. That's one of the great, many great things about the Salvation Army or being in ministry just all together is that, you know, you know, I know what they're hungry for. It's like my own son, right? He's two years old. He's so cute. And he will get hungry and he's so grouchy and he just like starts screaming and crying and like, but then he doesn't want to eat. And I'm like, man, all you need to do is just eat this food that I have for you, you know? And um, that's why I see people coming in now. It's like, man, all you have to do is just know Jesus. And um, they'll say things like, your fusion, which is our after-school program, it popped up. And so we just came and signed up. I don't know why. And um, at our fusion program, we're thankful that our outreach person, she is devoted to God. She is a Christian who loves the Lord and does everything she can to tell the kids about Jesus. And so when those parents come in and say, oh, I didn't know what I was looking for and I found you guys. I say, yeah, because you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're looking. And I praise God that we are here to serve in this area, in this avenue, and provide a place for your kids. I think earlier, Karen, you said um, that one of the challenges is a lot of times, you know, we we want to reach out or we want to be a part, but we're afraid of offending or we're afraid of of doing it the wrong way. Um, what advice would you give, um, you know, to, to people, officers, soldiers, volunteers about working with diverse communities, making inroads into diverse communities, you know, kind of, how do you kind of get over that initial fear and, and reach out? First, I would say just, we all have to be comfortable with who we are. We have to be comfortable with what we know and with what we don't know. And um, we have to be willing to say, perhaps I was wrong. <laughs> perhaps yeah. I was wrong about this culture. Perhaps I was wrong about my understanding of this person or this neighborhood or whatever it is. Yeah, I think that that's number one, being comfortable of knowing what we know and then being somehow we have to get over our fear and just say, OK, I'm going to go ask this person. OK, I'm going to go talk to this person. OK, I'm going to say, all right, I'm at this restaurant. I'm going to ask this person, hey, would you like to come to church? Or, hey, do you know about the army? Or, hey, can we get some coffee? <laughs> or different things like that. And I think also how we do that is we have to be present in our communities. Um, we have to not just live in a house and go to our core and then come back. But um, I talk about coffee as a ministry often, and I really believe that that's true because I can sit in a coffee shop. One day, no one knows me. I'm not going to say hi to anyone, probably. 
But then I come back the next day. Okay, they've seen me twice now. And I continue to come back, you know, and people see me. They say, okay, this person's here. And then it opens up. It gets more comfortable. Each time that I'm there, it's like, okay, I'm more comfortable to say, hi, how are you doing? Um, I'm more comfortable to ask someone, hey, I hope you have a great day or, you know, what's going on? Or instead of the, how are you? I'm good. I'm fine or whatever. And then walking away, like really diving into those questions and just being being visible in the community. So Anil and I, we walk around the community here. We go on walks. I go to lots of coffee shops <laughs> because I love coffee, but just being present and then people see us and it's, it makes it just so much easier to not be fearful to um, step out in faith and just ask and get to know people. And um, I think that that's how community grows first is you have to be willing to be a part of a community and then bring them into the core. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that that we kind of talk about um, here, especially my husband's in the program department, um, is sometimes we tend to want to program everything or curriculum everything. And we think that's the solution. It's curriculum and program, program, curriculum. But it's not. We, you know, we think it's a three-legged stool and the relationship really is the solid foundation that you need. Program and curriculum is good. It has its place. But it's the relationship is really what, what builds that community. One other thing, even from China, like I, my Chinese is never good enough to like actually share the gospel. I speak pretty fluently otherwise, but like, that's just a different vocabulary. I actually went to a coffee shop all of the time and the Starbucks and those people every week, every day, they said, Oh, I see something different in you. I see something different. And I shared life with them. And that was really where my ministry, a big part of my ministry was, was just there at that place. I, every day I was with them. I talked with them. I just lived life with them. I would go out to eat with them. And um, when I moved back to America, I said, why can't I do that here? Why can't I just sit in a coffee shop or sit at a library or sit wherever and just become part of the family? Um, and that's kind of what I did. And um, uh, Officer Major Valerie Carr, she is now, I think they're in Jamaica serving right now. You know, at first people would say, oh, Karen, you're just like, you just like coffee, you're just going to waste your time or your money or whatever. And she encouraged me. She's like, no, this is where ministry is done. This is how we form community is sitting here and being and and just not doing, like you said, not too many programs, but just being Christ wherever we are. Uh, I learned from my friends, from office of friends, uh, to use connections. Captain Montenegros, they are in Chicago Metro Division. Uh, she is the DYS and he is in the program. Captain Heather Montenegro, she knows me. Um, and every time she comes across an Indian person, she just approaches and talks, hey, I have an Indian friend. His name is Anil, and my husband was part of his wedding, and he wore an Indian. Just using then, she will call me, and she's so I met this person, and I talk. I don't know what I did, right and wrong. She always calls me and asks me. And the other set of friend who always used to text me and say, so uh, Indian couple started coming to church, and we prayed with them. They invited us to their home. What should we do? I think uh, reaching out to other people, uh, the connections which we have, asking, it is really beneficial because I always ask. Uh, I'm very hesitant. I am very shy because when in 2012, when I came here, I had very thick accent. Even now I have accent. The kids just laughed. I was very embarrassed. Uh, but at the end of third month, uh, a kid came to me. He hugged me. He said, even though you have an accent, you are a good man. I like you. 
uh, it just it just changed the way uh, I viewed it. I loved it, and I I I was comfortable to be ashamed with my accent, and it, it helped me to connect. So it's always helpful to ask other people to make connections and asking about cultures, educating ourselves. Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to share with us um, about your core about your experience? I just encourage people to be brave and like most cultures that I've come across, if I like, even if I learn how to say hello or and I say it wrong, they're so appreciative that I just tried. And I think that as we have the Christian body, if we just would try to connect with people, to try to make community, I think that we will be surprised that we will be welcomed and that um, there will be opportunities that come. And maybe the opportunities, you know, might be a meal. Maybe it's going to the park or whatever it might be, but um, don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Cause um, I think that's what we're supposed to do as not just officers, but as Christians. Yeah. Um, we love, I especially had two appointments in Chicago coming to this car is actually changing my view. How different is Salvation Army within America? Because that's not what I thought. I usually learn something new every month. Mm-hmm. So coming to this appointment, it is, exclusively different from my past two appointments. And this appointment has taught me that it's not about church having in the building, but it's also having church at the houses because we get invitations to come visit people Mm -hmm. from other culture. And uh, we just look at faces. But honestly, like in India, most of the churches during the week happen at the houses. Mm -hmm. So you go to the house, you pray, you sing song, you eat. And that's a wonderful fellowship and wonderful uh, thing. So that I it reminded me, even though I'm in America, a lot of people are still here mm-hmm. that who wants church to be at their home, not necessarily go to church in the building, building, but take the church into their homes, into the parks, into the neighborhood. So it's a great reminder for me, and I hope uh, everyone will uh, mm-hmm. consider that as a good suggestion or a help or a reminder for them to do I so. Think especially as Anil already pointed out, a lot of other cultures, that's how they how they worship is coming to the home. And so sometimes, you know, as Americans, this could be one stereotype that is perhaps true. Like if we go to someone's house, we want to bring something or we think, okay, it's going to be an hour and I'm going to sit down for an hour and I'm going to go home. And um, we, as, as that is our culture, we need to realize that that's not how most of the world operates. (laughs) Most of the world operates like for his, for Indian culture, it is so much about food and, and feeding and giving to their guests everything. Hospitality. So, like, when I go to an Indian family's house, if I say no to something, that is not, they aren't going to say, oh, that hurt my feelings. But inside, they're like, oh, no, I need to find something that she's going to like. I need to find something that I can give her. And so maybe as a practical tip, especially if you're working with Asian cultures or just I think it's every culture other than American. Take the invite, go to their house, just eat. (laughs) Eat whatever you can and know that it's not going to be an hour because like Anil said, we're bringing church to them. And that's how much of the world, even in China, I remember like hours of just sitting around a table. And sometimes in my mind, I'm like, man, I got to get home. But that was where big changes happen. That's where life, where community takes place. So don't be afraid to go and just and do those things and don't have a time limit. So there's a great joy in being uncomfortable. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Good. 
Oh man, and you know, I think about the families; these uh, multi-ethnic families are trying to acculturate to the culture. You know, uh, man, that can't be easy either. I think something that our core also has adapted as well. When we were doing marital counseling, we were talking about how are our cultures going to go together. You know, like I have American culture; he has Indian culture. What what do we? How do we raise our kids? Do we raise them with either one? And I remember our counselor said. Um, well, you're not going to raise them with Indian culture. You're not going to raise them with American culture. You're going to raise them with your culture together that is different than anyone else's. And I think this is true not only of interracial um, marriages, but of everyone's. We all bring our own cultures into things. Like, you create a culture together. And so that culture, the, this Kumar culture, is going to be different. And um, we have to embrace who we are together and our church, even though we're very multicultural and there's another multicultural church, maybe it looks different. And that's okay because we are embracing our culture. We're creating a culture. That's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good. Bye. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.